Welcome to the weekly podcast of Trinity Life Church. We are a local church that gathers in downtown Toronto on Sundays and all throughout our city during the week. Now our mission is to help people discover their identity and destiny in Christ so we can influence our city, our country, and our world. If you're looking for a place to call home, we'd love to have you. Our services are Sunday from 10.30 to noon at Jarvis Collegiate. Enjoy this week's podcast. the first Canada Day where we've seen so many flags out. Like we've, like normally Canada Day, there's some flags out, but like it's for the 150th, there's like this extra oomph of patriotism. Uh, it reminds me of America. <laughs> Canada Day is like the appetizer to the main course, Independence Day. No, I'm just kidding. Um, you guys like, go back to America. No, we love Canada. We're... <laughs> We're here. We don't want to go back there. <laughs> Not after what's going on. So <laughs> we love it here. So yeah, this is awesome. Um, yesterday, our girls were actually kind of bummed we didn't do anything special for Canada Day. Uh, Reagan woke up this morning and she realized it. She was like, Mommy, we didn't do anything special yesterday for Canada. And she starts crying. And we're like, you're American. No, we didn't say that. <laughs> but we were like, yeah, you know what, we, we should have done something maybe a little more special to commemorate. To commemorate. But we're going to take them to Ottawa and Montreal um, in August, and throughout the whole summer, Ottawa's having all these 150th festivities and stuff. So they're going to get the Canadian uh, History Museum, they're going to get all the festivities, and we're going to, like, indoctrinate them into Canada this summer. But... <clears throat> All right, we are, actually, before we jump into our, our sermon, I want you guys to do this this morning. If you are a follower of Jesus this morning, and, uh, and you profess Christ, I want you to take the next few seconds and say to, and just because of what, what Linnea was saying, some of you guys don't know Linnea, don't know her story. If you did, you would know that what she just led us in and worship and, and what she said to us and what she said over us this morning uh, is so powerful because of what she's gone through in her life. What, three years ago was her first time ever in a, in a church service. It was our one-year anniversary, so two and a half years ago, I guess. Um, and God has totally transformed her life. Like, what she said up there, she didn't believe two and a half years ago, guys. And like now, Jesus has transformed her and she's leading us in that. How, how amazing is that for her to say, no, this is, this is the truth. For, I don't know how old she is, but 20-something years. Of, yeah, I'm talking about you, girl. What are you doing out in the hallway? <laughs> uh, and for 20-some years of her life, she didn't believe that and now she does. Like, it's just so amazing to see, uh, to see her up there. So if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, uh, like she said, we don't know what your week was like. My week was, it wasn't the, the greatest week. It was a little hard. Uh, Daniel and Linda left this week. They moved to Chicago. That was part of it on top of all the other stuff. Um, so that, that was a little hard. But uh, whatever your week was like, I just want you to say one sentence to God this morning. Just say, fill me with your spirit and let me hear what you want me to hear. And if you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, if this is your first time in church, uh, if this is something you're not used to, uh, I want you to say, God, if you're real, 
show me something this morning about who you are. So just take the next few seconds and say that to God if you're full of Jesus. If you're not, you don't believe in God, that you're just saying that to the air and hopefully something happens this morning in your life. So just take the next few seconds and, and do that. All right, <clears throat> that was called a prayer. So if you're not a follower of Jesus, you just said something to God, that's, that's a prayer, it's as simple as that. Um, we are in our 101 series, and this series is designed, so we're taking a break from 1 Corinthians for the summer, because summer, summer on Sundays is always sporadic, especially Canada Day weekend, uh, but people are out, you guys are out, you guys are in, vacation, all those things, cottage, whatever. Um, so we're taking a break, and we're giving you guys some basics of the faith throughout the entire summer with the lens of evangelism put onto it. So last week we started with kingdom, kind of laid the foundation for what we're going to talk about this week, and we're going to talk about faith this week. And what I want to do, and what you'll see throughout the sermon is, I'm going to try to talk about faith in a certain way in order for you to talk about faith at your workplace, with your friends, with your family, and so on. So each week we've, we've chosen a passage that highlights the evangelistic nature of the topic we're talking about, okay? So this, this week we're in Luke chapter 7, and uh, as Paul read, it's, it's, about, it's about John the Baptist here. Um, so before we jump into the passage, a couple years ago, Missy and I decided to climb the CN Tower. So two times a year, you can go up the steps to the CN Tower. Anybody ever done that? Anyone besides Archie? We all know Archie did it. Okay. All right, yeah. yeah. Archie probably has the, the fastest time in the world. Uh, but, yeah, so a couple of you guys um, have climbed the CN Tower. We did it in April for, uh, it was the world, it was WWF, not the wrestling, but World Wildlife Foundation uh, but we would have done it for wrestling, too, <laughs> to support that. Uh, so, you, climbing the CN Tower, so for us, uh, we're different from Archie. So Archie runs marathons, he's training for a triathlon. Uh, we're not like that. We, we aren't, uh, I consider myself averagely athletic, like I love playing sports. Um, I don't work out, I don't run, like, for fun. It doesn't make sense to me. Uh, Missy's the same way. Like she, we're not joggers. We don't climb steps. You know those things. She does ballet, so that's kind of like her workout. Uh, but, I'm just kidding. Uh, she always gives me a hard time because I'm like, dance is is not athletic activity, uh, but it is. It's it's a workout. So I hear it's like core and stuff. Uh, but like we, so we're not we're not made to walk up 1,776 steps without preparation. And we didn't really prepare. We're not made to go up 144 flights of stairs. That's what the CN Tower is. And <clears throat> so we go there, and we're pumped up. We get there like 5.30 in the morning or something, because you have to get there early, because there's like, there's thousands of people that do it every year. So there's a long line. And we're so pumped up. We're like, yeah, we're going to get this. We're, we're not trying to get the best time. We're trying to get a good time. Average time for people climbing it is 30 to 40 minutes. The fastest time is just under 10 minutes. Yeah. 
Yet be the first one in line to do that, though, or one of the first. Um, we did it in around 20 minutes. And we aren't athletic, and we're just like going. So we get in there, though, and like I said, we're pumped up. We're going to climb what was for three decades the tallest freestanding structure in the world, right? Until, until uh, um, the Emirates decided to build their monstrosities. So um, we're walking up, and we're like, oh my gosh, this is so tall. <laughs> we're going to climb this. But still, we're so excited. We, we go in. There's, we're like high energy, and when you go in, it's a narrow staircase. Like you actually, if you go in, they just, they just follow you in, you file in behind people, and you have to figure out when to strategically pass people, you have to, you see people, so the stairs go up, there's a landing, and they go back up again, uh, and people are like collapsed on the landing, there's medical teams every, every so many floors, and it's kind of discouraging. You're like, oh, I could end up like that guy. Uh, I mean, there's people who actually don't complete it. They have escape hatches where every, I think, 100 meters or something like that, they have an escape hatch that leads to the elevator. So there's always a way out. You could always say, I can't do it anymore and, and go out. So it's not very good for morale. If you're like, I, I can't do this, there's an escape hatch like right there. Um, they, you can sit down on the landing, and some people, they're on the landing just to take a break. Some people, like, they can't go anymore. Some people, they've actually passed out. Um, and because and it's hot in there, it's, it's, there's no ventilation, really. It's, it's very, um, what's the word, muggy and, and humid in there. Uh, so we're, we're, like I said, we're so pumped up going up it, and then all these obstacles start happening. And guess what we start thinking? Should we be doing this? We didn't train for this. Uh, like, this is harder than I thought. Um, is this worth it? And then I look up and I realize out of 144 flights, we still have 140 to go. <laughs> <laughs> That's how a lot of us are in the faith. You thought the faith was going to be easy, so you stepped into the faith, and there's obstacles. And there's doubts. You're like, can I do this? Can I, can I go? How am I going to pass? How am I going to pass? How, you know, there's someone who's saying, it's not worth it. They're collapsed on the landing and, and they're, they're trying to drag you down. And, and the whole time we were going up, I was saying to Missy, because we both were like, well, why are we doing this? Uh, I said, don't stop. Keep on moving. Just look at the next step, go to the next step. We're closer now than to, the, to finishing than, than we were before. Just keep moving your legs. And she's like, I got to take a break. And I'm like, no, we won't get back up. We'll be like that guy, and we won't get back up. We'll take the escape hatch. We just got to keep on moving our legs because once we stop, it's going to be that much harder to get started again. And we've been fooled by our culture that... We take a leap of faith into things. When following Jesus is a journey of faith, there's going to be obstacles. It's going to get hard. And the whole time Jesus is saying to you through your doubts, the whole time he's saying to you through your obstacles, just take the next step. It's going to be okay. Keep on moving your legs. Don't stop now. You're closer now to the end than when you were before. And here's the thing with doubts, because this passage 
is about that. John the Baptist is doubting, and he sends people to, to find out about Jesus. But here's the thing about doubt. Sometimes we think doubts are the enemy of faith, or they're the, the destroyer of faith. But this is the statement that I want you to take through the entire sermon uh, as you walk through the passage, is that doubts don't destroy faith. Disobedience does. You're going to have doubts. You're going to have doubts why... You may have had doubts, why are you even going to church this morning? Why am I even coming here to this weird thing where people sing songs and, and listen to a guy speak or, or whatever? Why, why does this even matter? Why, why do I even believe this stuff? Um, and that's okay. God says when you have doubts, come reason with him. Come talk to him. Because doubts don't destroy faith. It's what you do with the doubts. And if your doubts lead to disobedience, that's going to destroy your faith. Faith, not having faith is not walking in obedience, okay? Disobedience is not walking in faith, and that destroys your faith. All right, so we're going to take that through this passage. Uh, Luke starts out here <clears throat> in verse 18, and he says, The disciples of John reported all these things to him. So let's talk about who John is first. John is not the author of the Gospel of John. John is John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin. So, just John the Baptist was born just a little before Jesus. They, we don't know if they grew up together or not, but they didn't live in the same city. Um, and he's, he's married, Jesus' mom's uh, sister's son. So, this is John the Baptist, and in Luke 3, Luke talks about John the Baptist. And he says that he is just in the wilderness preaching the gospel. He's preaching a, a story, uh, a, um, a, a message of repentance. So he's, and he's saying, uh, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And he's talking about this person who's going to come to rescue the world, to take away the sins of the world. He's talking about this one who's going to come and who's going to be mightier than him. And he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire, he says. And he's talking about this one who's, who's coming, and he says, this person has uh, the axe laid at the root of the trees. This, there's this, like, impending um, day of the Lord that's going to happen. So the, the tree is about to be chopped down, and he says it's going to be thrown into the fire. And So he, he, he preaches this, this uh, message of repentance, and then he he um, kind of intimates towards this judgment, right? And then he says that this guy who's gonna come, he's gonna baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So this is the background to John. And John has, has people who have been, who he's baptized. He, he baptized Jesus in that passage. Jesus comes to him and gets baptized by John. And that's when the heavens open up. The father says, this is my son and whom I am well pleased. And... Uh, the Spirit descends on him in the form of a dove. And all this happens before the crowds and before John the Baptist. So John the Baptist sees all this, okay? And then he gets, and, and then fast forward to this passage. And then it says, so the disciples of John reported all these things to him. And all these things refer to what happened in Luke 6, 5, and 4. And what happened was Jesus just raised someone from the dead. Not Lazarus. Sometimes we think Lazarus is the only person that Jesus raised from the dead, but it's someone else, a widow's son. Jesus just raised someone from the dead right before this. Okay? And then also, uh, Jesus heals somebody, and he's not even in the presence of that person. 
he heals them by just speaking. And that person gets healed at the moment he speaks. And then Jesus has, has uh, healed someone with, with a withered hand. And Jesus has seen a paralyzed person and um, made them walk. He's cast out demons. He has cleansed a leper, someone who ha- who's had leprosy. He's made them clean. Uh, so all these things are happening. And these are the things that the disciples of John the Baptist are reporting to John. And it says, And John, calling two of his, of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who's to come, or shall we look for another? John's doubting. Now John is the one who proclaimed that the one coming, the coming one, was Jesus. And he says, hey, look, everybody, he's here. It's this guy. And now he's doubting. What's changed in John's situation? Well, he's in prison. And now his circumstances, his present circumstances, are starting to inform his faith. Does that sound familiar? How often do your circumstances inform your faith? How often do your circumstances tell you whether God is good or not? How often do your circumstances tell you whether Jesus loves you or not? Like Linnea said, they shouldn't do that. Jesus loves you whether it's, it's a good day or a bad day. But John here, he's in prison. He's captive. And he says to his disciples, who have just reported all these things to him, okay, they've just said, hey, John, Jesus just raised somebody from the dead. Like, we know you're in prison, but Jesus just did this. And he, and he uh, just spoke, and someone got healed. And they're like, John, he, he also caused someone to walk who's been paralyzed for years. And he took a man's hand that was deformed, and he made it straight. And they're telling him all these things, and John's response to them is, he says, go ask him if he's the one to come. What do you think his disciples are thinking? They're probably thinking, you're the one who told us he was the guy. But John says, go ask him. And, or, or ask him, shall we look for someone else? It says, and when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you saying, are you the one who's to come? Or shall we look for another? And John the Baptist is rotting in this prison cell. Jesus has also in Luke said, he's quoted Isaiah 61, and he said, the, spirit, uh, he said, the Messiah is here, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and he's saying this about himself. And he says, to proclaim good news to the poor and to proclaim liberty to the captives. And John's like, hey, he just said he's gonna free the captives. And I'm here, and I'm in captivity. See, John had certain expectations for Jesus. Missy and I, we've been to, <clears throat> we've been to Rome twice. Anyone been to Rome here? Yeah, yeah. The first time I went to Rome, I said, I'm never going back. <laughs> I hated it. Uh, well, I didn't like it very much. And 
we did our first kind of European trip. We did London, Paris, Rome. Rome was going to be like the crown jewel of that trip. London and Paris blew us away. Like they, were, they exceeded our expectations. They're so awesome. But we had really high expectations for Rome. It's the eternal city, right? It's the epicenter of Christianity. Uh, you know, so much history there. Colosseum, Vatican, St. Peter's, catacombs that I talked about a couple weeks ago. Um, there's Italian food, right? I mean, it's just like, if that's the only reason, that, that would have been awesome. So we go there, and it's just, it's a tourist trap is what it is. It's just like, people are everywhere. You feel like you're, you're being herded around like cattle everywhere. And I was just like, this is horrible. You see beautiful pictures of Trevi Fountain, you know? Uh, but all your Google images are without people in them. When you go in real life, there's like 10,000 people out there. I mean, it's so crazy. Uh, it's just, there's so many people everywhere. And, and we left, and I said, I'm never going back to Rome. Like, I will go back to Italy, but I would never go back to Rome. It was just such a letdown. It was such a disappointment. Well, last year, we went back to Rome. Uh, <laughs> and I even started telling people, like, don't go to Rome. Like, go to another place. And, or, and I started to say, and then I started to think, man, was I... Did I just have wrong expectations? Was I just thinking it was going to be this when Rome is actually this? And I thought, yeah, I think that's what happened. Because now my expectations, now I knew what Rome was supposed to, was going to be like. So our second time we went, I loved it. Like, I would go back. <laughs> I, would, I would go back again. I loved it. It was great. Like, I knew what to expect. I knew there were going to be a bunch of people. I knew that this was going to happen. I knew. And it changed the way I perceived Rome. You see, most people miss the Messiah because of wrong expectations. Most people miss Jesus because they expect him to be something that he's not. They expect Jesus to be this, and he's this over here. What are your expectations of Jesus? What are your expectations of God? Have you ever asked if, if you have the wrong expectations? Have you ever been so frustrated with, with God because you thought this should happen and it, and it didn't and just blame God? What if instead you thought maybe my expectations of God are wrong? How well do you think you know Jesus? See, I think John the Baptist thought he knew Jesus really well. But when Jesus didn't set him free and he's in prison, he thought, he's supposed to do this. So he can't, maybe he's not the Messiah. Maybe he's not that guy. You know, if I put up a, uh, I don't have this, but if I put up a bunch of statements of sayings of Jesus mixed in with things that Jesus didn't say, I bet it would shock you what Jesus actually said. You know, a few years ago, I, I realized that maybe I don't know Jesus as well as I think I do. So I read through all the Gospels with that lens. Jesus, teach me who you are. I want to see who you are. And I was blown away by the things that Jesus says. Because I thought, you know how when Jesus goes through the Sermon on the Mount, he says, you've heard it said this, but I'm telling you it's actually this. That's what happened to me reading through the Gospels. And I went through two seminary degrees, guys. 
And I went through the Gospels just with that lens saying, Jesus, show me who you are. And I was blown away by who Jesus is. See, many of you have wrong expectations of what Jesus has done, is doing, and is going to do. And because of that, your journey of faith, when you hit an obstacle, you sit down on the landing. When it gets too hot in there, you want to give up. When uh, it's just crazy in that little stairwell, you say, I can't do this anymore. But remember, it's not a leap of faith, it's a journey of faith. Remember, you will have doubts, and they shouldn't stop you from moving forward. They shouldn't, you shouldn't let disobedience destroy your faith. And what's awesome here about John the Baptist is he doesn't let disobedience destroy his faith. He has doubts, but he still pursues Jesus. He says, hey, go ask him. I'm not writing him off. He says, but I need to know. Like, go ask Jesus if he's the one. So they do. And this is how Jesus responds. It says in verse 21, in that hour, he healed many people. So it's like they ask him, he's like, and then he goes and heals people. And he is diseases and plagues. He casts out demons. He's like, hold that thought. I'm going to go cast out some demons over here. And on many who are blind, and this is, this is really cool in the passage. This is actually really, it's actually kind of funny that Luke does it this way, that, that, that uh, this, the account is this way. So he says, and on many who are blind, he bestowed sight. And then Jesus speaks in verse 22, and he says, go and tell John what you've seen. So basically, Luke is saying, yeah, he gave sight to those who were blind, and then Jesus turns to the disciples and says, can't you see what's going on? Just look around you. I just gave sight to the blind. Are you blind too? Just open your eyes and look around. Can't you see? And he says, go tell John this. And Jesus didn't say, I'm the guy. He didn't say, I'm not the guy. He says, the blind person can see now. That person who couldn't walk can now walk. That person who was unclean is now clean. That person who couldn't hear can now hear. The person who was dead is now alive. And here's the clincher. Here's where all the emphasis in this passage is on, or in this, in this list is on. The poor have good news preached to them. You have all these signs and wonders and miracles, and Jesus puts the emphasis on the poor having good news preached to them. The poor. You look at this passage, and you can look at this answer that, that Jesus gives, and John could think, man, I thought the Messiah was supposed to change the world. But he's preaching the good news to the poor. Like, he's healing people who aren't very significant in this world. He's... He's doing stuff that isn't having global impact. And, and John is probably thinking, man, the Messiah, that he, he preached, he's supposed to take the, the sins of the world away. He's the Lamb of God, right? And Jesus says, no, tell him that the blind person can now see. 
and he focuses on the individual, not the institution. You see, a lot of you, a lot of this world, think that if God is God, if God is good, that he needs to come in and just make sweeping changes. That God needs to set everything right. Because that's going to show he's God. If he sets everything right, then everyone's going to know he's God. And we think a good God is going to do that. You talk to your people in your workplace. You talk to people in your families. That's the number one thing they'll throw in your face. <clears throat> if your God is so good, why did this happen? If God is God, why did he let that happen? And here we all are, and here the world is, pointing the finger at everybody else. We're condemning that person for doing that. We're condemning that group of people for doing that. We're condemning that terrorist act. We're condemning that disease. We're, we're saying you shouldn't live your life that way. And we're pointing the finger at everybody else. But here's the thing. If God is good, and he is, and, in, and, and, and here's the thing too, what you think is right, when you say a good God should set everything right, of course it's what you think is right. But if a good God were to set everything right in the world, he'd have to take care of everything that was wrong in the world. Are you guys following me? If he's going to set everything right, he's got to take care of everything that's wrong. And how many of us would get caught up in God setting everything right because we're in the wrong. You see, we're so good at pointing the finger at everything else that's going wrong in the world. We're the wrong ones, guys. We're the evil ones. We're the evil in the world. And here we are saying this and this and this, but if, if Jesus came down as the Messiah with fire and brimstone and said everything and took care of everything that was wrong to set everything right, how many of you would get caught up in that? How many of you, before you became a follower of Jesus, would get caught up in that? How many people in your family will get caught up in that? How many at your workplace? You see, Jesus didn't come down here for condemnation and judgment. He says, we're already condemned. We're already judged. He came down in compassion and justice. He didn't have to come down and make sweeping changes. He, didn't, he doesn't work that way. He makes singular ones. He works in the individual, not the institution. And that's what he's telling John the Baptist here. You expected the Messiah to do this to set everybody free, to make everything right, what you thought was right. But he says, he says, no. The blind can see. The lame can walk. The, the deaf can hear. And he's changing one individual at a time. Transformation, transformation, transformation. And that's going to change the world. And he says the poor have this good news preached to them. The poor who, who are oppressed they, they are not privileged. They are uh, cast aside. He says, I've come to tell them that there's a new world 
there's a different world, that this isn't the only world, that there's a different reality, that this is not the only reality, this isn't their reality, there's, there's a different kingdom that I'm ushering in. There's something far grander and greater than what they thought was here. Do you believe that? I would say most of you don't believe that is the reality. I mean, just, just look at what you spend your time worrying about. Just look at what your concerns are, what you put your money towards, where you spend your time. Look at what, what distracts you in life and think, do I actually believe that this isn't the reality? See, because most of us are actually living for this reality, not the one that Jesus reveals in the kingdom. And he says in verse 23, and blessed is the one who's not offended by me. This is a beatitude. This is him saying, blessed is the one who doesn't stumble because of me, who is not offended by me. And what Jesus is basically saying is, if you're offended by me, the problem isn't with me, it's with you. And then he gives us some tools for faith. So I'm going to walk through a couple tools for you guys for evangelism when you engage people in society, in your workplace, in your family. And Jesus starts off uh, with, this, with number one, and he says, uh, he, t- he asks about their expectations. And he gives three couplets of questions here. So he says to the crowd, so he kind of transitions from the disciples to the crowd, and he's, it's concerning John the Baptist. He says, what did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? Here's a translation. Something insignificant, something commonplace, something ordinary? Is that what you went out to see? Something that uh, is like everything else? And he doesn't answer it. Sometimes Jesus just asks questions. He doesn't answer them. Um, and verse 25, he says, then the second couplet, what, what then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft slash fine clothing. That's what that means. And he answers this one. He says, behold, that guy's not in the desert. If you went out to see that, people who wear fine clothing, they're not in the desert. They're in king's courts. And then he says again, what then did you go out to see? A prophet? And he's answering their question here. Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one who's not only a prophet, but he fulfills prophecy. And he asks questions. And for us, when you engage, when you engage with your, when you just share your faith and talk about who you are in Christ, uh, asking questions is a good tool. Uh, you know, oftentimes we think the burden of proof is on us. We think we have to prove something about our faith. And Jesus flips it and he starts asking them questions to, so that they evaluate their own expectations. What if you started asking people what they expect of God? And then it'll open the door for you to show them who God is. You know, God doesn't need you to prove his goodness to people. God is good whether you prove it or not. He doesn't need you to do that. He's, he shows it every day. And we just need to get people to see that their expectations are faulty. And that opens the door to, to number two. To put the burden of proof on them and, and, to, and to just let them start to evaluate themselves and say, you know what? I never actually really thought about this. And Jesus does this. He says, 
this is he of whom it was written. Behold, I sent my messenger before you. This is verse 27. Who prepare your way before you. And he points to scripture. Now remember, they're in a culture where scripture is highly valued. So he points to scripture. Maybe our, our first go-to in your, in your, at your job is in scripture because people don't really value it outside of the church in, in Toronto. But maybe this is where you go. Number, number three, and this is, this is what Jesus does. He shares ex- his experience. He says, I tell you in verse 28, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And what Jesus is doing is he's contrasting the person born of flesh and the person born of the spirit in the kingdom of God. He's saying, John is greater than anybody born in in the flesh. But guess what? That doesn't matter. The kingdom of God are people who are born in the spirit. And I love that Linnea shared her, shared just a little bit of her experience this morning. If you're a follower of Jesus, you all have that experience. And you might think, well, that carries no weight. Like, there's no power in me sharing my experience. People aren't going to believe that. They need, like, solid truth. That is your truth. That is the truth that Jesus transformed your life. That you were once dead, and now you're alive. That you were once in the kingdom of darkness, now you're in the kingdom of light. That's your truth. And you'd be surprised, even the most scientifically-minded person evaluates their entire life through their experience. And when someone meets someone who used to be this and is now this, by no doing of their own, by only the power of God and the community of faith through the power of the Holy Spirit, people will hear that and it transforms. And in verse 28 here, Jesus is showing us the power in that, the power in your experience. Guys, you are the church. You have the light. You are light. And we get to take that into the darkness. We get to be that for our city. We get to show people the true Messiah. We get to say, you thought he was this, but he's actually this. And he may not take away all of this, your troubles, your problem, uh, your, your temptations, wh- whatever you want to put in there, your, your mental illness, your physical illness. But he's going to carry you the entire time. He's going to say, just keep on moving those legs. Take another step. Keep on going. Don't stop. You're closer to the end now than you were before. Going to say, keep on moving forward. Yes, you'll have doubts, but don't be disobedient. That's going to destroy your faith. And even in the midst of John the Baptist's doubts, Jesus elevates him and says, John, just open your eyes and look around you. So if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, open your eyes. Look at what God's done in your life. Look at what God's done through you and around you. If you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, same message. 
open your eyes. Let the Spirit open your eyes. Ask God to do that in you so that you can see what He's doing around you and in you. Stop focusing on the institution. God is focusing on the individual. He wants to make a singular change in your life this morning for His glory. And that's how Jesus works. He works through us, broken, fragile, and he redeems us, puts us on solid ground, and pushes us forward. So I invite you into that this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it is true, that it is without error, that we can trust in it. that we can believe like John the Baptist believed. He didn't see those things happening. He was in prison. He just heard what people said about it. He saw their transformation. And for all of us who are followers of you, Jesus, a lot of us haven't seen those things happen. But we don't walk by faith. No, we don't walk by sight. We walk by faith. And so show us how to believe in faith and not believe by what we see. Thank you, Jesus, that you give that to us, that even our faith we don't have without you. And so empower that in us this morning. Grow the seed of faith that you placed in us, that we would pursue you and follow after you. We ask you in your name. Amen. If you want to know more about the TLC community, check out trinitylife.ca or you can find us on Facebook. Of course, we'd way rather meet you in person, so we hope to see you at a service soon.